All right, guys. Welcome back to the Pricewell Podcast. We are live at Supply Side Show today. I've got a lot of friends here with me today. Super excited to introduce everyone. So real quick, we're going to have like a bit of a moderator panel type setup, but uh, I'm going to just intro everyone and then Dave can take it away. So our moderator is going to be David Sandler. I can't go into listing all the things he's done. It would take too long. Uh, <laughs> my name is Ben, owner of Price Plow. Uh, if you watch our podcast, you're familiar with all the content. Getting into our guests, Joey Savage, Chief Science Officer for... I want to say Glaxon, but zero days your real title. But if you've heard of Glaxon, love their products. Uh, we get into that. Dan Lorenzo, uh, CEO, owner, Ghost, uh, general innovator of the industry, and Chris Lockwood from Nutribol. So we're gonna be talking a lot about uh, branded ingredients today. Obviously, Kiwa uh, has some really incredible ingredients that we love talking about, but uh, it's not just gonna be about Kiwa today. So feel free to talk about whatever it is that you guys are excited about and where you want to go. All right. Cool. I assume you have some opening questions you want to start. Yeah, first, again, uh, this is an amazing opportunity here. Um, I love panel discussions because you get to hang out with the best in the industry, and this is like this is like the dream team, dude. This is really good. So uh, having said that, we're all part of uh, – we all work with Cognizant, and that's why we're here. Uh, so in full disclosure, and I'm a consultant for uh, Kiowa Hako, so just in full disclosure – and so what we want to do is talk a little bit about Cognizant, how you guys have used it in, the, in your products, but uh, also a little bit more about the industry as a whole and, you know, what's happening in there. So I guess the first real question is, is uh, you know, why would you guys choose Cognizant? Data, 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 data. Um, when it comes to an ingredient that has reliable amounts of clinical data that has been clinically studied in children, adults, the elderly at a very wide range of dosages from like 250 to two grams. Um, Cognizant's got data in all these different areas. So when it comes to a wide range of applicability from infants to the elderly, or just looking at the cool, unique mechanisms of action, Cognizant checks the boxes across the board. Yeah. I, I, She's hot. She's hot. Yeah. Feedback is a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, as, uh, as Joey said, data plays a big role in it, right? Brand plays a big role in it as well. And Cognizant is a great brand name, especially, you know, in the world of nootropic and focus ingredients. I think when, when we set out to develop Ghost Gamer, what really attracted us to Cognizant is that they have clinical data, as you hit on, Joey, specifically in adolescent males, which is the primary kind of consumer of, you know, video games and ultimately what we envisioned for Ghost Gamer um, for like, uh, reaction time and um, recall. So it just made a lot of sense. And I think that that's really what what's all about, right? Finding great ingredients with great brand recognition that has great data behind it to support the ultimate goal of the product. All right, so I'm the old one here. So I wrote about City Colding in 1998, back when people read and weren't TikTok entertained. So, I mean, City <laughs> Colding has uh, been a wonderful product, uh, at least for, in the literature. And so that was already in uh, our C4 Smart Energy. I mean, so... We're currently doing, uh, we, just, we just published a study that has uh, city choline, obviously, and this, I don't know if anybody has seen that one in the journal, uh, uh, American College of Nutrition, um, American Nutrition Association uh, is what it's called now. We did a follow-up study, and then we're just wrapping up a second validation study of that at University of Iowa. And I mean, the data speaks for itself, but it is showing that it, to, those, to your point, is that including that ingredient in those amounts is effective on those markers that people are 
most interested in and clinically and the CNS vital sign test, executive function, I mean, it's pretty phenomenal. And so we definitely see that as a driver. Yeah, well, Ben, you need to jump in too. Why are you doing this? <laughs> uh, so uh, I told uh, Kiwa pretty bluntly, I would not only talk about Kiwa's ingredients, uh, we're gonna talk about the industry as a whole. Uh, there's been a big push around Alpha GPC for a few years. Every kid in the gym knows what Alpha GPC is uh, and it got a little stale. So we started looking at other opportunities and Cognizant was obviously a really easy one to pick up. The cool thing is that while Alpha GPC is really important for focus, it's not stimulatory. Cognizant kind of brings a stimulating factor to it, which is a, just a little bit of a differentiator. So you don't need to add as much caffeine, gives you a little bit of a buzz. It feels good. It's kind of at the end of the day. So where do you guys think the market's heading right now? Um, all of you, you know, everybody's building focus energy type of products. Uh, where do you see us going forward? Um, well, I think it's going to head for redundancy with a little bit more of that. There's going to be some trends from about 10, 20 years ago that are going to come back around probably again. Um, so what is old will become new again. And then somebody's going to do something really crazy and blow everyone's hair back. That's probably how it's going to go. May or may not go to jail. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, think, I think this microphone is a better one to stick with this one. Um, yeah, I, I think I think uh, the perspective that old and new, um, this industry is definitely cyclical for what uh, for for real. And <laughs> I I think that generally speaking, the industry kind of goes through these trends where you see a lot of brands bringing um, obscure ingredients, extracts, things like that to the market, and then you almost see a pullback of that, and people just want the hits, right? The tried and true ingredients with tons of data, tons of research behind them. They're familiar with it. They know exactly kind of what to expect from it, and I think that. You know, ultimately what we see is a balancing act of those two things, but it really depends, you know, from a long-term perspective and a future-looking perspective of what's new, what's coming out. Is it going to be more research on the tried and true, or is it going to be more kind of in the, the sizzle? And I think that balancing those two things, um, search and the sizzle, is kind of ultimately what I think drives a lot of product and, and innovation from an ingredient perspective. And I think that, um, you know, uh, to reference it, your, your call out of TikTok, so I, think, I think that whatever it's always interesting what consumers are going to latch on to, right? And what's going to really trend. And I think that one of those two things is usually what will, will drive it forward. Yeah, I think you guys both, I uh, don't need to repeat this, but I mean, the trend side, I mean, this is what the third time this has come out in the last 25 years. To your point, I mean, the, uh, the, the recycling of trends, I mean, it's the next bell bottom. We don't know when that'll come out, but uh, I don't need to repeat what you guys already said. Probably... The fact that the fact that it's become a cost threshold thing, pretty obvious, right? I mean, it's why caffeine consistently people turn towards what what's the most common denominator is what's what can I get the biggest bang for the buck for cheapest? And now people said, hey, how can I take how can I take water and make it sound interesting and cool? I think there's a ma that happens. That's a marketing person problem, right? I mean, so. Yeah, uh, I mean, science guys, I think knew the stuff that was going on. It's well studied. It's well studied that salt and sugar will hydrate you very well. Sure. And prevent diarrhea. I agree. And amino acids. <laughs> so we, I mean, yeah, we saw, and that's a, it's a great point. Is that I mean, all those things keep. I mean, the essential amino acids are back for a third time yes. in my career, right? I mean, it's like okay, ECAs get beat up. E, we go to EAAs. Will we go we see, back. Will we see soap amino acids? 
Silk, so. Amino. I think we're going to, yeah, you know, really. you'll, I mean, I already started, we heard lectures I'm yesterday, people are back to talking about arginine ketoglutarates again. And they're going to go, I mean, at some point, OKGO will come back. I mean, we're recycling betaine. I mean, Scott Connolly was doing, was a huge fan of that. We just called it trimethylglycine back then, right? I mean, it's like, find some new thing to call it. And you got to, there was, there was low carb, there was keto. What's going to be the next version of it? To your point, recycle it. It's going to be the zero sugar. It'll be the zero sugar diet, something like that. Yeah. How about desiccated liver? You think that's coming think back? It's gonna come back. Oh my god! I think it We've will. I'm old got, enough to even know what that is. I got asked <laughs> that same question from I see a couple people out there saying, "Yeah, I remember that. There's that dried cool. powder some tablets." Cool oh, the tablets. <laughs> yeah. The Solaray desiccated liver. See? There's you got cool it. Yeah. There. All right, so guys, why uh? Why branded ingredients? There's so many ingredients out there. There's so many generic ones. You can pick up this stuff just about anywhere. Why branded ingredients? It's a case-by-case basis. On it, most of it is it's going to come from a reputable supplier. So you can lean on the quality systems of that supplier that not only do they have data, they've got actual analytical methods they will share with you in your third-party testing labs and make sure that what you are putting in your product is what's on the label and it's what's going to get to market. And you're not rolling the dice with someone who's selling a generic that they're probably getting second or third hand from somebody else. Yeah, I think brands at their best are about trust. And uh, specifically in the brand ingredients, it's trust at every level, right? Trust at the, at the uh, you know, kind of the, the ghost level, we'll say, right? As far as knowing exactly who we're working with, where it's coming from, what the testing is, what the quality is, what the safety is. Um, sometimes even as you're scaling, it's really important what the supply is going to be, making sure that they can actually supply you, uh, what the protections are from like use of you know competition, uh, making sure that uh, the ingredient is going to be repped well, that we're not going to turn on the news tomorrow and find out that it's in something, something, whatever, right? So all those things could become important at the like kind of brand level. And then at the consumer level, again, having trust and confidence in that ingredient because of the data that's out there, um, because of the quality and everything else that the brand of that brand ingredient is on a case-by-case basis could call out. Um, I think that's really, really important and goes into selecting these things. Thanks, sir. What was the question again, specifically? Why branded ingredients versus just some generic stuff you can get get from anywhere? I don't think it's so much the branded as much as, from your point, I mean, the quality uh, supplier. I mean, if they're willing to invest in the actual research uh, to do a lot of that legwork with you or partner with you, as, I mean, Kia's been great as far as uh, working with us and, I think that that just shows that they're, they've got more skin in the game. And there's a lot of people who just are going to broker things into your point. It's going to be uh, some ingredient that would be questionable at best. So. Are you guys worried about potency or any issues like that? Are you seeing any issues with uh, standard ingredients and their potency? Uh, we've seen some drop-off. That's just a question. Well, you're not worried about it if you're doing the testing, the applicable qualification, have good relationships with your you know, where you're sourcing from, et cetera. Obviously using a brand ingredient takes some of that guesswork away because you know exactly, you know, where it's coming from and should have kind of a, a little bit of an open book, ongoing relationship there. Um, and I, I think the other side, potency and just overall efficacy in general, using a brand ingredient, um, we live in an information driven world, more or less, right? I'm a big believer that you, you formulate for the 1% of the customers that really understand and appreciate the efficacy of the science. You build the brand for the other 99. But for the 1% that's really you know, interested in what the data says, what the information is, by using a brand ingredient, you kind of know what they're gonna see when they put that brand ingredient into Google. Whereas if someone is researching a generic ingredient, you don't know what they're gonna find. 
in the dark interwebs and like how deep they're going to go. Is it good? Is it bad? Does it rep you well? Does it rep your your concept or your purpose of using it well? So I think, you know, controlling that conversation, controlling the supply chain, controlling all of those things is, you know, again, why and where brand ingredients can win out. So I agree. I mean, branded ingredients offer that advantage that assuming that they've done the research behind it. Um, There's a lot of brands. I mean, you've seen these. I mean, they'll they'll come out, they they can brand any ingredient. It doesn't mean that they've done anything novel to it. Right. I mean, so I think it does still take that due diligence. It does from a marketing and branding perspective. You get to capitalize on whatever, if they're doing anything out to the consumer facing. Right. I, I mean, I'd make this argument that, so Metaform, maybe you guys remember this brand, uh, like, uh, had truth in labeling, trademarked. We, we did this back in late 90s, right? And the thinking there was, let's do full transparency in these. I would, the, the devil's advocate I'm going to throw out on why we end up using fully, you know, branded ingredients and why we laundry list everything out is it does take some of that responsibility away from the finished brands to actually invest in proving that their blends of formulas work. So I, I, I can see benefit to both sides and I agree with you a thousand percent. I mean, I would rather formulate an indie race car and then average the reason why I don't think there's a lot of people driving their Ford truck is out into the mountains like I do, but that's how they advertise it, right? They just want to make sure it gets them to the grocery store. So I agree with you on the formulation, but from the product standpoint, I would rather see more brands investing in that finished product research so that maybe those generic ingredients, if you're doing, if we're doing the testing that we're supposed to and the consumers expect, we shouldn't expect them to know every ingredient and every dose. Just be my devil's advocate on that one. That's on. So to your point, Dan, you brought up, we're in an age of information. I'm obviously taking advantage of that pretty heavily. Um, but in general, these branded ingredients are creating uh, online almost personas. Like each company has their own feel. Each ingredient has a, it's, it's a brand of itself most of the time. Two part question, take it whichever way you guys want. Where are branded ingredients going? What would you like to see with branded ingredients? What's, what's something that you're passionate about maybe improving or what, what you want out of branded ingredients? They already do a lot. Um, what, they give you standards. They give you clinical data. They give you a lot to begin with. What more could you ask for? Maybe kind of what we're doing right now. A little educational entertainment, you know? Maybe, you know, getting the message out there about what these things are in a way that is a nice digestible way that most people could understand. I myself am terrible about doing that. Um, But, you know, I do like getting the message out there in whatever form that it is. So whether or not, you know, it's, it's digestible or just getting more information out there to people is probably the most important thing is just chipping away at that learning curve so that the general population can understand these ingredients more. As double devil's advocate to what you said, if we have a better educated consumer group, then all of this stuff can accelerate at a rate that is going to be faster than, than if they're just, you know, believing in this one product or, or, you know, this one study or anything. If more people understand what Cognizant is and how it does what it does, 
we're doing a better service to our entire consumer base. Yeah, I don't really know if I have a lot to add to that. I mean, I, I think selfishly on the brand side, limited distribution, first to market advantage, and some of the like the kind of business tactics are always stuff that we want to you know put more pressure on our branded ingredient you know partners to to give us. Um, I think transparency and as Joey pointed out, easy to digest information. So you know when a customer, no matter where they are in the spectrum of kind of newbie to advanced, is you know researching what's in these products, they can find clear, concise, accurate. Um, cited information and good solid studies behind, you know, uh, you know, an easy to read landing page, whatever behind that ingredient, because it ultimately makes the brands using and investing in those ingredients look good, right? And I think that that's that that kind of relationship is really important and something that all these, uh, I think, a lot of brands can can do more uh, brand ingredients can do more of. Yeah, I mean, so similar to what we're doing already with Gila, I mean, partnering with them on research, I think, is super important. So if you got a branded ingredient to show that not only is their product effective, it helps surround IP around your finished brand. I mean, so, but similar, I mean, the education side. And just as like a bit of a rip on most of the suppliers here, <laughs> step one, come at me with a clearly defined cellular, if not molecular mechanism, knowing exactly what the fuck your raw material does. You can blurp this out if you want to, okay? Know what your product does. That's step one. In a cell study is great. In a rat or rodent study is also great. Let's take it a step further from there. And if you've got a human study that corroborates this information from start to finish, my God, now we've got a good trademarked ingredient. And Cognizant does it all, okay? Does it all. Most of Kiowa stuff, you got cell to rodent study to human study full safety data, it's all there. Most people here do not. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch gears just because uh, I'm, I'm actually really kind of wanting to know this and I'm gonna ask you first, Dan, um, totally shifting gears here. You've got some really creative flavors for your products and you've done some uh, collaborations and so forth. Tell everybody, like, how important is flavoring now in our industry? Yeah, I mean, I think depending on the product category, flavor is absolutely the number one driver of purchase decision, especially to start thinking about beverages and how hot that world's been. It all comes down to flavor. Um, and as I kind of said earlier, I think from the ghost perspective, what we've always kind of said internally is formulate for the 1% of consumers that understand it, but you build the marketing, the message, the brand, and again, those important flavors for the 99 Using a licensed flavor, an authentic flavor collaboration, it's not really that different than what we're talking about with a brand and ingredient. You're trying to bring people into your product through familiarity. So even if someone doesn't have a relationship yet with Ghost, with Glaxon, you know, whatever Cellucor, whatever the brand is, if they see a Sour Patch Kid, if they see a Starburst, you know, they see a Pez, oh yeah, I remember that from my childhood. I'm excited to experience that again in a functional product, different use education, different place in life, frankly. Um, and I'm going to try that. Even if I take the ghost off the label, it's Sour Patch Kids in a sugar-free functional beverage. Why wouldn't I want to try that? So it's a great hook. And I guess the hope as a brand owner or anyone involved in the brand is that then they stay for all the non-licensed flavors as well. So you're, you're delivering value beyond that. But it is a great, a great introduction and a great tool, I think, um, to get out there, especially in the early going. Nothing to add. That's, I mean, brilliant. It's, uh, you guys did a, did a great job, too. 
Some will argue that uh, these flavors are attracting kids, I and mean, no doubt you guys are following the 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 media with uh, all the kids drinking energy drinks, and we know you know we can go we can go down that road. But um, but would you not agree though that that all of your licensed flavors? Wouldn't you agree that all your licensed flavors were back from, like, my era? Like you said, Pez, Starburst, like, that wasn't, those weren't yeah, like, nostalgia is important, right? And I think that what we have always done um, is really play the nostalgia card. And I think that, you know, as licensed flavors get bigger and broader, as any of these categories are growing, there's a lot of responsibility on the brand to say, hey, look, we are very careful not to market kids, right? And, you know, go specifically, we've got, you know, very strict guidelines internally to ensure that we don't do that. And I won't bore you with all the details, but I would encourage all brands out there, regardless of what they're doing, authentic flavor or not, to take that stuff seriously. Um, but for anybody criticizing these like kind of more fun flavors, we'll say, um, as targeting an inappropriate demographic, I was like, well, let's walk this back a second. The history of, you know, protein powder, we'll say, after unflavored was what? Like what are the most basic flavors in protein? Chocolate, vanilla. Wait, kids don't like chocolate? Hold on a second. So how far are we going to go? And I think to attack any brand out there that really all you've done, I mean, look, this this industry is rooted in chocolate fudge, you know, watermelon, this, that. I mean, all you've done at any of the, the three of our brands is just attach an authentic flavor to that and add some authenticity, add some real nostalgia and make it make a pretty cool investment to excite and, you know, um, our fans and consumers that are looking for this stuff. So. I mean, I think that's it's a great point that you bring up because the nostalgia that brings a kid and sees this and it is going to put a bigger, I don't know how, uh, it's going to put a bigger target on you. I think that's where the finished product research, I mean, you talk about wanting to, that we demand it of the raw materials. I think for a brand like Akiwa, and this is where I, hopefully they see value added in what we're doing, is that we're also giving value back to their, to their brand by we're looking at the finished product and we're looking at EKGs, we're collecting blood pressure, we're looking at the effects because we know the lawsuits are gonna come. I mean, it's good, this is gonna be a matter of it. So showing that, putting that partnership label on it, that we're also protecting them as a brand. And so we feel like that's a necessity because at some point, FDA, FTC are gonna sit there and push that. If Because of all those raw material, the suppliers that you mentioned that aren't doing the work, it's those other few that are and investing that end up in that same sandbox. And it's happened repeatedly over the last 25, 30 years, right? Just to expand on the absurdity, the obvious absurdity of this whole thing. Um, how long has Starburst been around? 30, 40 years? How long has Sour Patch Kids been around? At least 30 plus years? How long, ha how long has, you know, Pez been around? Like almost 100 years? I think the only thing that the FTC is really pointing out is how anti-competitive the candy industry is. Because <laughs> I can't think, aside from sour, or sour Strips here, this is the only new candy brand to show up. The kids don't give a shit about this, really. This is a candy for adults. And, and I don't really see kids buying that, but I see a lot of people go to the gym buying it because it's, a Mac, it's Max's brand. So I really don't see any kind of foundation on this because these candy brands have been around for decades. And like you were pointing out, it's nostalgia for us, but kids that are, that, are, that are growing up nowadays, all they have are the same candies that have been around for like the past 30 plus years. Well, I'm not saying it's not absurd. <laughs> it's isn't, absurd. That, isn't that kind of the definition of what FDA and FTC is? FTC needs to start cracking down on the monopolies of these candy companies. Start breaking open the market.
the kids need something new. You got anything? I got nothing. You got nothing? You always have stuff. I have a lot. You don't want to say something? Going. Okay, keep going. <laughs> I'm good. Um, okay, so I want to add one more thing to this, uh, to this level. Have you guys found challenges with ingredients that might not work into some of the flavoring systems and things that you're trying to do? And what have you done about that? Dropped them. Yeah, find a, find a new idea. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. We, we work with Welch's grape, and, and that actually started as an ingredient partnership using Concord, uh, you know, grape powder from Welch's. And I thought to myself, man, like, we have a, a pretty great greens product, so does Glaxon. Um, and I was like, you know, Welch's greens kind of, you know, add some grape powder. That, that mean, It didn't work. It just did not work. So, yeah, we just dropped the idea, set up. That didn't work, and move on. Move on to the next one. I'm not as involved in the flavor side for what we do, so not my focus. And so, but I think that the other alternative to that would be you work with those flavor houses on finding some scientific solution, right? I mean, there's got to be, you know, at the end of the day, I love asking those questions and then working with those people, those food scientists that are insanely brilliant and get paid great. When I lecture to students on careers, if you like to eat, I mean, a food chemist, I mean, that's like a 400 some thousand dollar entry level I would love to have had that as a kid, right? Like if I was into eating. I mean, so, but work with those. There's some great researchers out there, some contractors. Maybe you can find a solution to that. And that's that breakthrough change to something that is just kind of recycling a trend, right? I, I think I think where I agree with that. I think where I'm going with it. A lot of times when you have a great flavor idea, and I, I don't know if you found this, but sometimes you want to lean into the base and not fight it. And some, some, some flavor kind of concepts and some, um, whether authentic or not, they just work better based, based on the, the underlying functional ingredients and kind of what that product is. And we just try to pair those and, and be really kind of smart about, about how we kind of go, go about it. I, I was meaning if, thing, if things didn't work with that flavor system, find that solution, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Kind, of, kind of to your point, um, understanding the product that you're creating. Uh, with Glaxon's Greens, there's a lot of teas and fruits. Like, it's, it's botanical, right? You can hide some stuff in there. You got to play with it. But, you know, one of the early things that you told me is like pre-workouts, don't put botanicals in pre-workouts. You want a watermelon flavored pre-workout, don't put a ton of botanicals in it. You might be able to hide a, like one or two ingredients in there if you have to for the experience. But understanding what you're creating and basing it off of that is going to be important. I think we stopped seeing rhodiola in pre-workout because of that. <laughs> don't hurt my feelings like that. I love rhodiola. <laughs> I mean, so... Back in the day when there was an ABB, right, and we did speed stack and we had ephedrine and we had everything in there. Nobody cared. Was what it was, man. I mean, and so I do think that there's a level of function that probably, and we saw it. I mean, you can raise a brand pretty high in that core consumer. Uh, question is, can you work with some technician to figure out, like, the long-term solution? It becomes a short-term play and a long-term play if you're trying to trying to sit there and do that. By the way, we have to start adding some of these other ingredients in. I'm just gonna be purely scientific on it. I mean, polyphenols have color because that's the benefit, right? And so if we, at some point, we've gotta work on or find the flavor house or somebody who can help create a stable version that still provides those polyphenolic benefits that can go into these and not taste absolutely like shit. And that's really where we struggle, right? And ch or change the color. If you want to work with spirulina, where it doesn't turn black, I mean, there has to be some extra investment in that. And I think the brands play a role in that, like partner up. You want a licensing agreement, an exclusive agreement in your space? 
that's where you become part science, big part marketing, right? And partner up with brands. I, I think like one thing just to say for the, the record is like we're talking with brands that are like at scale. Yep. There's a lot of startup brands on TikTok that runs a 200 bottle run and they don't mind putting rhodiola in their pre-workout at 500 milligrams. But just because it exists on the market, technically on some Shopify store doesn't mean that it's successful. So we're talking yeah, about- and I, like, I also, I also think, and this is a whole other, whole other podcast, but like culturally we've gotten soft, right? And it's definitely a have your cake and eat it too marketplace and world right now. So people want all of these things, but then they want it to taste great and they want it to be an authentic flavor and they want to have it BOGO 50 all the time <laughs> at GNC at their door. Like, I mean, so we just live in that world. So I, I think that, you know, we have to carefully, you know, kind of pick and choose what we what we can do and uh, try to avoid the if you give a mouse a cookie mindset as much as possible. I love that book, man. You got kids? Well, we are we are starting to see you guys. You guys are so so young. You probably don't remember when caffeine actually really did taste crappy, and you couldn't make it taste good. And flavor houses have come a very long way in both masking systems, their flavors themselves, and so forth. So. Um, and then what we're also finding, though, is, you know, you use the, the rhodiola example. Um, you know, if you, if you extract the rhodiola for the rosavins, then you get the benefit. If you just put a rhodiola powder in there that does, isn't extracted for certain things, you don't, you don't get the same benefit, and you get a better taste. So what I think is kind of happening is, is we're starting to see that the flavor houses are working much harder at figuring out solutions so that they can, that they can help us in this space. I kind of think it's actually more on the ingredient supplier. If you've got something that works really well and you're that confident in it, you should do something to increase your, like use a liposome, do some sort of like absorption tech that can like encapsulate this micro encapsulation, put it in a beadlet, do something so people don't have to taste it. If you're, if, or if you want it in any kind of cold water soluble solution, you've got to do your legwork leg if you want to end up selling it. Otherwise, something great could just end up not getting used. I, I love Joey because you think about it. You're like, let's just change the whole ingredient. Let's go with it. Like, yeah, if you got a problem, you need to fix it. But uh, on the same thought process, like for instance, uh, I love to use PKTP, and everyone complains about the flavoring of it. Why don't these companies then partner up with a flavor house? Hey, we have this ingredient. We've done everything we can. Can you work with us since you're the flavor experts to create some sort of masking agent, to create some sort of SOP so this can taste better? I've seen that work both in good and in bad ways. <laughs> I've seen plenty of, of uh, you know, flavor mask, different chemicals or ingredients come out to market. They say they're flavor mask. You try them and you're like, no, no, this is not. Then they come out with the 40% version, right? Yeah. Yeah, they do. Sorry. It's easy to drink your own uh, Kool-Aid, right? And everything starts tasting better that you make. And so that does, does happen with some of these ingredient groups. You're absolutely right. There is a play. I mean, one of the things I do, obviously, is, is I work with some of these groups trying to help improve the flavors that do exist and, and what's happening in those ingredients. But it is still a really long way away. And so to your point, you know, maybe there should be more effort uh, getting out there. If you want to see your ingredient in a product and it tastes like crap, then you should be doing something to help it taste better as well, not just the brand and expect the brand to buy it. Quite frankly, we should have like some sort of group of us where we know the sus ingredients that we're talking about right here, and we can connect them with the right flavor houses or like absorption tech people and be like, all right, you have a problem. This guy has a solution. If you guys would work together, we might use your ingredient. We need our own booth next year.
own group chat. All right, so we're rounding around like probably the last quarter of this. Uh, to switch into the shameless plugging for Kiwa, we got to give them a couple clips here. Um, you know, we brought up Cognizant in the first, but I know you're more of a, an amused person. Um, give us a clip. Why do you use the ingredient? What do you enjoy about it? What does it do for you? Um, I like Amuse because it has a clearly defined and very unique mechanism through activating the plasmoid dendritic cells that I don't really think any other postbiotic or any other immune booster does, which is kind of neat. It gives you more of a, a holistic sense of immune activation because I've also got, you know, mushroom blends and stuff in the greens product. So there's beta-glucans, there's all kinds of like fun things, but it creates more of like, I don't know, a more well-rounded immune response if you're looking for something like that. Um, the other things, uh, I, I like the, the Cetria Performance Blend, having more of a prolonged effect on nitric oxide. I love the, the concept of Alox and the, the discovery that, you know, citrulline could be seen as like an arginase inhibitor in a way like I think Kiwa made arginine cool again after it was, you know, bashed on for so many years. Um, and, and who doesn't like Cognizant? Like, I think if anyone takes Cognizant, you're kind of inclined to like it after that point just because of the downstream effects it has on, on dopamine and everything else. Yeah, tough to uh, tough to tough to really even add add, add to that. Yeah, I mean, like I, I uh, yeah, I, look outside of outside of Cognizant, um, obviously a big fan of cetric glutathione, um, both in the performance blend and even by itself. It's probably one of the ingredients I recommend most to people. Like, hey, you know, even if you're not a core supplement user, as far as something that you should be taking every day, for for me, it's it's Cetria, um, you know, because of all the amazing effects and antioxidant properties it it has. So. And I think that a good example of how they took a old product and made a new story with it. I mean, what they did with the arginine and citrulline, I think is is, fat, is, is great. I mean, so as far as trying to reinvent and do a new fashion, I think they did a great, great job with it. Cognizant, we're pretty focused there, all pun intended. I mean, on what we're doing with that, we looked at some, uh, did a, it was a dad joke, wasn't it? I mean, that's what I get, man. 52, I do the best I can. I mean, so... Uh, we're looking at different combinations. I mean, so what the thresholds are between caffeine and cognizant, at what point do we get a peak response? And so I think those are really important to look at. And so uh, Kiwa has been helping us with that as well, which is cool. Well, I'm going to give my uh, shameless plug. I asked about the uh, flavoring for another reason is there is pretty much no product that Kiwa does that doesn't flavor very easily. It's soluble drops into solution, works in just about every application, and that there is, again, one of those things behind the branding that you guys have spoke about. Come to the table with something that's, uh, that, that, every, that I can use. Don't make me work for it. And so I think they've done a really good job at that. So there is a shameless plug. Cool. You ask another question. Do you have any 30% off coupons? <laughs> <laughs> I can connect you. I know the right people. No, I mean, that's pretty much all I got. I mean, uh, to bring three people together from very, very different skill sets, it's been really interesting to kind of mold it together. So thank you guys. I really appreciate it. If you guys have anything you add, want to add, uh, feel free. Take questions from the audience? Yeah, we got a yeah. massive audience. Who wants to throw questions? You have to a couple of big faces, too. You want to you wanna run it over to someone? Well, we have someone that would like I'm sure Mike probably has a question. Would anyone like to ask us a question Ron for the Ryan panel? Ryan, you, you, brother. Come on, Ryan. You're the press here. You're, you, this is right. a presser. I, I don't. I don't have any. Talking to the 
talking to the microphone. I know. <laughs> I struggle with that too. What, what do we have to do to get cognizant and fit butters? That's what I want to know. There you go. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, I, that's actually a good question. So when it comes to functional foods, we're seeing that, that category growing. How can we get better branded ingredients into functional foods, protein bars, unique protein-based foods? I don't know, Ryan. How can we get functional ingredients into food products? I would like the question answered. Uh, if you really want an answer, we did a ton of research at General Mills on this. Consumers just don't care in food. They don't. And it takes a lot of money and education to inform somebody buying a protein bar or a nut butter to do so. And you guys make products every single day for performance enhancing, whether it be pre-workouts or whatever. And it's difficult even there in which they're seeking those things. So the cost, the time, it's hard to justify it. Look, as good as... Rory's Cognizant Cookie Madness sounds. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a fan. Uh, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Unfortunately, um, I, I just don't know that most customer, like, customers are looking for it just yet. Like functional food, uh, obviously very big term. I think generally we're talking about protein you know, uh, products there. Although, look, functional beverage, even outside of energy drinks, that's a fast-growing segment. I think you're seeing a lot more going on there, um, stimulant or non-stimulant. And I think that that's definitely an area that you could see some things branch out outside of energy, outside of, you know, cognition, nootropic, et cetera. And I think we'll see probably more of that as people just want more convenient formats to, to take these things than the old, you know, uh, scoop and shaker. I think the convenience is a big factor. Uh, Mike and I, over the, last, over the last year, have seen a lot of engagement in kids that don't want to scoop powder. They just want to drink an RTD. And I have fallen into it. When Dan sent me two cases of Ghost Whey, I stopped shaking protein powder for two weeks. And then I had to go back because there's no more ghost protein right now. But <laughs> I think we have to put the functional back in the functional food. Uh, I think right now a lot of people want to like shoehorn cognizant into a brownie for some reason. And who cares? Uh, but if the food is functional, like if, uh, you know, if the food is something that you would consume for a feeling and that actual feeling is obvious, people don't care. No offense. People don't care about cognizant. They don't, they don't like a normal consumer doesn't see that and think I want to take that. But if it's a... Uh, Energy drinks are the perfect thing because people actually love that feeling. So maybe it's a calming snack at the end of the day. Maybe it's, it's something that actually improves your day. <laughs> you, want, you want me to give you the mic back for that one? <laughs> you made a great point earlier about your cotton bogos, right? I mean, that's what they're looking for. I think if you guys, to use this con. I do think you need to come up with something that brings in that flavor element at an inexpensive, cheap cost, right? I mean, that's, functional food is, I mean, it's hard to get something stable on shelves for two years and in that category, right? Where, I don't know, is that what GNC is demanding still? I mean, that's what we did when we were there, you know, and they all turned into bricks after the first shipment showed up. And so I think that's the problem is that uh, there's just not that, there's not that deliverability for the consumer on, a, on that experience beyond, hey, we tasted it, it tasted great right out of the, out of the shelf and so, until somebody can figure that out, that's a food technology issue. I also think like when it comes to the actual function beyond like protein and energy, or I guess you could include nootropics in that energy segment. Um, what kind of function would you want in certain foods? Like, I mean, obviously we have a whole plethora of just about everything here that we could put function into some sort of food. So is it a brownie that increases your immunity or a bag of potato chips that 
gives you a solid bowel movement or, you know, how many customers are really looking for that? You know, like it, it makes you, it begs the question, you know, like I don't want to have to think anymore about like eating food. I want it to taste good. That's where the bar is right now. And anything above that, there's just not a, that's not why we are driven to food. And, you know, the, the, the function in the food or beverage in that sense would become the afterthought. Unless you are in a, a, where you're looking for the function first. I am looking for protein. I'm sick of drinking shakes. I'll have a bar or chips or, or what have you. I don't want to take any more fat burners or pre-workout, but I'll grab this beverage. It's right here. So you have to look at like those, those higher performing categories and find out where you're going to differentiate in that category into a food product. That's a good point. So you remember choline cocktail and neuro drive, yes. right? I mean, so, yeah. I'm curious what you guys are seeing. As far as this nervous aerobic space, it never does as well as the caffeine driven stimulus. People don't know the difference. People say they want it. And it well, well, here's 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 my point. Uh, uh, we're talking about people like actually noticing the difference and actually caring about the difference between like choline cocktail and energy drink. And, and I was honestly going to bring up, Dan's drink is amazing because it tastes incredible. It, you know, everyone wants to drink it, enjoy it. It's, it's a status symbol, having a ghost energy in your hand. Uh, very few people care about the neurofactor that's in it. And I love neurofactor. It's nothing against nutraceuticals. But Mike coined this phrase. Is, it's kind of like Trojan horsing in helpful ingredients. Uh, how many, how many uh, cans do you sell uh, a minute is it right now? Seven, was it 750 cans a minute? How many of those people do you think care about the actual active ingredients inside of it? Seven. Okay. But, but those people are still getting those benefits. All 750 are still feeling that benefit. We've been sneaking fruits and veggies into stuff since I was a kid, right? Well, well the good news is the, uh, the energy drink market, I think, topped at $55 billion worldwide last year. It's been uh, increasing... Uh, a double-digit compound annual growth rate, and it's expected to hit over 100 million within the next decade. Billion. Yeah, 100 billion, sorry. Yeah. That's how, like, that was it. It's what? just money. It's just it's ridiculous just, just, amounts of money. It is, and, and you know what the amazing thing is? In today's society, how everybody's so conscious about what kind of waste we're making, we are making more waste than ever. Single serve is by far the biggest thing anybody wants. And people bitch about plastic because it floats atop the ocean, but Aluminum sinks. And then we don't have to look at it. And then we all have to look at it. And so, yeah, so the good news is a lot of these single serves are, uh, they're, they're not going anywhere they're, except up, right? So lots of other opportunity for, uh, for growth out there for everybody in it. So and I, I just want to also give one more shameless plug. Um, and that is, is everybody coming to the What's Up With Subs party tonight? Woo! Woo! Tomorrow. See, I'm really screwed up. Take it. Tomorrow, oh, I blew that. House of Blues? Well, yeah, the House of Blues, Thursday, October 26th, 5 p.m. Come play uh, Rubik's Cube with Kiowa, right? He was doing a Rubik's Cube contest. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. Uh, and big, big thanks to Kiowa for hosting us. It's been awesome. Thank you, guys. Hey,